I'm, I'm counting on you, okay? Uh, okay, well, guys, it's been, it's been a wild summer so far. Um, I personally, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it being, I, I'm going to say it, nearly over, because I, I shouldn't lie to you and, and make you think that it's going to keep going. Um, I don't know how I feel about that, but I, I think I'm pretty, I'm going to get excited. I'm going to try to be excited about the, about the things that uh, this upcoming year have. Um, I've really enjoyed, though, this summer, this past series that we've been doing, um, Summer of Love, and particularly just hearing the testimonies that you guys have all shared. So if you shared the testimony, thank you so much for doing that. Um, I hope that, and I, well, I was impressed uh, that as a church, we were so willing to talk about like real stuff and addiction and abuse and like stuff that's in our past, because uh, we all have those stories, you know, uh, but to, to understand that there's hope and healing in Jesus, and to share that with one another, like how encouraging is that? Um, today, we are, we've wrapped up our, our Summer of Love series, and we're going to jump back into the book of Acts. Um, we're going to pick off where we left off at the beginning of the summer. I think we wrapped up in May, and then we did some other things. Um, and so, yeah, so the plan is going to be, we're going to do four to six weeks in Acts. I think more like six which will get us to early October, and then in early October we'll do uh, uh, another series. Um, but you might not have been following along, but so just to catch you up, right, we've been kind of making our way chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of Acts uh, periodically, really through the last two years, two and a half years, something like that. Um, and we've been doing little spurts, you know, so for a couple weeks at a time. Um, and where we last left off was at the end of chapter 20. So that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 21, because that's the end of chapter 20, right? So if you have a Bible and you want to open it up to Acts chapter 21, that would be great. But just to catch you up, because the book of Acts is a narrative, right? It's, it is um, tracking the history and story of the church um, it starts really uh, from the time of Jesus' resurrection, and then it, uh, it tracks some major events in the history of the church. So the coming of the Holy Spirit um, on, on the disciples just a few weeks after Jesus' resurrection, right? That's Acts chapter 1 and 2, and then covers the rapid growth of the church in Jerusalem. This little movement that seemed dead when Jesus was crucified comes back to life. The Holy Spirit just does remarkable things in the uh, believers, and in Jerusalem, Thousands and thousands of people start to worship Jesus, coming uh, not really out of Judaism, but being Jewish believers in Jesus Christ. And Jesus does all these miracles, and the, the church just, just is just growing exponentially. And then suddenly there starts to be, really to everyone's great surprise, this move of the Holy Spirit amongst the believers in Jesus like starts to spread outside of Israel, outside of just people who were uniquely Jewish. First it spreads into Samaria, uh, which is like kind of a half Jewish area. Um, ethnically, kind of these people are half Jewish. They're not really accepted by the Jews. So it spreads in Samaria and people are surprised. Oh, the Holy Spirit is going to come on the Samaritans too. Like that's great. They must, it must be their half Jewishness that makes them worthy of that. But then all of a sudden, what we see uh, starting in Acts chapter 9, 10, and 11 is that the Holy Spirit starts to come into the lives of people who are not Jewish at all. And it's shocking. It's shocking because up to this point, God had been really concentrating his efforts to reach the world amongst the Jews. But surprisingly, in Roman cities, 
non-Jewish people begin to come in droves. They put their faith in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So, so God is indicating through his, his work among these people that he accepts them, that he is adopting them in by faith, and it's, it's just a remarkable thing, and everyone is surprised. That's the, 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 the really amazing thing that we see in the book of Acts, and it's really the primary theme is that the Holy Spirit is moving throughout the whole world, that he is really through, he's trying to, to bring forward the gospel for all people and adopt all those who would come in faith and repentance into Jesus Christ, into the family of God. And so for the last 10 chapters or so, the narrative has been focusing on this mission to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, and particularly focusing on this one man named Paul, the apostle, who was really called to be the one who was kind of leading the effort to reach the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. Um, he also is pretty famous because he wrote a large chunk of the New Testament. So if that name sounds familiar, that's why. He used to be called Saul also. And we, we saw this story of his name change as well. And, and so Paul's story that we've been tracking is really the story of how God reached the Gentile world in, the, in, in and through the early church. Because it was Paul who was used by God to proclaim the gospel. That is the good news, the proclamation that in Jesus Christ, God is reconciling the whole world to himself. He's restoring what was lost when sin came into the world, when the relationship with God was broken. He's restoring that in Jesus Christ. He's saving the world through Jesus. And that salvation is inclusive of Jews and non-Jews. Anyone who comes in faith and repentance is accepted in. And what we see in the life of Paul, and I think it's exemplary and worth thinking about, is that he was radically committed to this mission, the purpose of getting the gospel, the good news, out into the world. Last time when we were in Acts a couple of weeks back, um, we heard Paul express that, his, his commitment to the gospel in these words that we find in Acts 20, verse 24. He says, I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to, to procl- uh, uh, is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Paul was a man who was focused on one thing, to the point where he could say, and, and I mean, in, in the midst of real serious circumstances, that he considers his life of no value. The only thing he valued is that he would fulfill his purpose to proclaim the gospel of God's grace to all people. Now, uh, here's the thing. I think it's easy to read the book of Acts and look at Paul and think, that dude was wild, Right? Paul was just radical. And I think it's really easy for us to admire that. But I I have found in my life um, that Paul is also just almost a little too intense to really relate to. Anyone feel that way? Because like, because it'd be hard for me, I would say this right now, even right now in this moment, it would hard be hard for me to say this along with Paul. I consider my life of no value to myself. And I'm not uh, saying that ashamed of that. I'm just saying that's, that's just the honest truth. And I bet it's the honest truth for, for you as well, right? Um, and I'm not saying, hey, well, yeah, that's just how I am. I'm not going to change. But I am saying Paul seems to have gone through something 
something has happened to Paul. He has so much clarity and purpose, and I don't oftentimes experience that kind of clarity and that kind of purpose in my own life. Just a confession of where I stand, right? As we go along here, we're going we're to come back to Paul and think about where did this clarity and where did this purpose come from, and how can we maybe take steps towards achieving something like that in our own lives? We'll get to that in a minute. Um, because I think it's interesting, like this sense that I have, um, and, I, and I think probably you do too, uh, that Paul is hard to relate to. I, I think actually a lot of people felt that way about Paul. In fact, in fact if we read in Acts 21, you can kind of see that dynamic playing out where people are kind of like, well, Paul, 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 slow down. <laughs> You're a little, little too intense. Okay, so let's, let's pick up in Acts 21. We're just going to read uh, through verse 12 if you want to follow along. So it says this, after uh, we tore ourselves away from them, that is the Ephesian elders who was, he was meeting with um, in Miletus, uh, we set uh, sail straight for Kos, an ancient city, uh, south of Miletus, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there we went to Patera. If you don't know any of these places, it's okay. These are ancient cities. We're going to look at a map in a second to help you uh, find your way. Um, finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we boarded and set sail. After we sighted Cyprus, passing to the south of it, we sailed uh, on to, to Syria and arrived at Tyre. And since the ship was uh, to unload its cargo there, we sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days. Through, uh, through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And when our time had come to an end, we left uh, to continue our journey while all of them and their wives and their children accompanied us out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said farewell to one another and boarded the ship, and they returned home. When we completed our voyage from Tyre to the, and reached Ptolemy, uh, there we greeted the brothers and the sisters and stayed with them for a day. And the next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And after we had been there to several, uh, for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and he came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands, and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. So what's happened, and I've got a little map, actually, we'll, we'll look at the map here, is that Paul has set sail from Miletus, kind of up there off the uh, Macedonian coast, and he's gone down the coastline. You know, they didn't have direct flights. <laughs> and a stop at port to port, just, just cho choosing the next ship that was going in the general direction that they were going. And so they, he, he traveled down. His intention, he was, he was set to go to Jerusalem. He had decided in Acts chapter 20 uh, that he had to go to Jerusalem. And, I mean, it's, we, we see that in Acts 20, uh, verse 22 through 23, he says this, I am on my way to Jerusalem compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. Paul has just like through his, his prayer relationship with God, through listening to the Lord, he feels deeply convicted that he has to leave the place where he's been ministering. He has to leave Asia Minor and he has to go back to Jerusalem. And as he goes, all along the way, he gets this really bad news, right, from these people that chains and affliction are waiting for him. See, Paul knows two things really, really certainly. 
he knows the Spirit is calling him to go to Jerusalem. He doesn't question that. He seems to have that very clear from the Lord that he is compelled to go. And yet he also knows that the Spirit, the same Spirit who's compelling him to go, is warning him along the way. The Spirit is warning him through his brothers and sisters. In each town he comes to, he's warning them that chains and afflictions will wait him there. Persecution, arrest, flogging, all these things that, I don't know, I'm, just, I'm not generally up for on a normal Monday. Uh, but he, he's told by the Spirit, the same Spirit that tells him to go, that those things are awaiting him. Now, it sort of seems contradictory, doesn't it? It sort of seems contradictory. Um, because Paul is certain that the Spirit is telling him he must go. But even as he goes, he gets people who tell him, like it says in verse 4, through the Spirit they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So which Spirit is right, right? Who, who's, who's correct here? What's going on here? Um, I would say uh, the Holy Spirit is right. And the Holy Spirit is speaking with one voice here. Um, but let's, let's think through this. Paul is going along. Every town, people are, are telling him this is what's going to happen. And some of them are even insisting, don't go. They're pleading with him. They're calling on him. He, he moves down the Judean coast. He's almost into Israel, and he meets a prophet named Agabus, actually the same prophet who was who in, I think it's Acts 11, would foretell that the famine was going to come. So he's kind of a famous, well-known prophet. Um, He takes Paul's belt and symbolically ties his own hands with it, and he says, this is what's going to happen to you, Paul, if you go. When you go, this is what they're going to do to you. He's explaining to them all the persecution he's going to face in Jerusalem. And seeing this, the Christians plead with him. They say, don't go, don't go. So what is the Holy Spirit up to? Is the Holy Spirit telling Paul to go to Jerusalem, or is the Spirit warning him not to go? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. How does that mixed messaging work? If God is saying go, then why are the prophets discouraging him? And if God is saying don't go, then why is Paul so convicted and so certain that God did say and is compelling him to go? I think to think through this, we actually need to think a little bit about what prophecy is and how prophecy, at least in the New Testament, is, is functional. And like the New Testament, the way it works in the New Testament is the way we're called to, to have it work in our lives. Like the New Testament is the, the normative text in that it defines what we should consider normal. Might not always experience it this way, but at least as far as my understanding of what the New Testament is here for is it's to define what is right and good and the proper understanding of, of the way it is to be a Christian. So how does prophecy function in the New Testament? Well, we think about prophecy from a biblical theology perspective. So how does prophecy play out throughout the whole uh, Bible? And we know that prophecy is as old as the Old Testament, right? In the Old Testament, God speaks to his people through special appointed prophets. It's always been God's M.O., to talk to his people through prophets, people who are speaking on behalf of God to advance God's agenda and to make clear what his will is. And what we see in the New Testament as the church starts to take shape, and like we've read about here earlier in Acts, is that God has decided that in his church and for the people who are called to worship and follow after Jesus, There's going to be 
even more of this prophetic work, even more of this guidance. There's going to be people in the church who are full of the Spirit. In fact, God has just appointed the church to be uh, a gathering of people who are just like filled with spiritual gifts, spiritual influence, in whom God is working mightily. We, we, we talked about that in Acts 2, right? On this day of Pentecost, a couple weeks after the... Um, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, God does a remarkable thing. He sends his spirit on the believers. They're just sitting around waiting for God to do something. They don't know what to do, but they they are expecting God to move. And they're just sitting there praying, gathered together about 120 people. And suddenly the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they start speaking in tongues and they start to prophesy and it gets really wild. They don't really understand what's going on, but Peter gets up and he explains to both the people who this is happening to and to those who are observing what's going on. And he explains in Acts 2.33, he says, since Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and now he sits on the right hand of the Father, and the Father is, through Jesus Christ, pouring out the Holy Spirit on those who have faith in Christ. Those who are in Christ, those who are believers, are receiving this uh, work of the Lord within them. That is, I think, the normative picture of what the church is like, at least as it is presented in the authoritative text on this in the New Testament. And I think that the book of Acts makes it clear that when the church is seeking Jesus, when the church is, is, is like just coming to him, full of faith, pursuing his, uh, his gifting, putting down idols, worshiping him, that they're going to be receiving this spiritual filling, this life from him. And particularly, Paul makes clear claims throughout his letter that the church will be full of people who have this prophetic gifting. That is to say, they're, they're hearing from God and trying to encourage the church to pursue him all the more. So before we, we go on, we're going we're to talk about that uh, in a little more detail here. But I, I just like, I realize for most people, that's not their, I don't want to say for most people. Certainly in my experience growing up in uh, certain more evangelical, less charismatic leaning uh, churches, um, my experience was not that, that there were, there was a lot of gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I probably grew up among people who were sort of afraid that that would start to happen. <laughs> Honestly, that's how it felt like. Uh, like, oh yeah, we read that in the New Testament, we believe it, but ooh, I don't want to see it. <laughs> kind of that, that sort of attitude, right? Um, and so like, uh, that's kind of like, like, like I'm, you, you're shaped by the people who you grew up around, right? People you admire, people who love Jesus, right? I've been shaped by people who love Jesus and yet who are afraid of, of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I sort of get it because... Sometimes people are weird. Sometimes people are really weird. And sometimes probably they misapply these things. But I think that just like with anything, people who 
do things in the wrong way shouldn't discourage us from trying to do them in the right way. Shouldn't, shouldn't make us doubt the word of God. And it shouldn't make us afraid to pursue the Lord for all that he has. If he has good gifts for us, if he has good things for us, then I think we should be open to them in the way that we're supposed to be. Which we'll talk about that in a second. But pursuing them, seeking them. Because look, I can sit where I'm at and I can think the thoughts that I think shaped by the influences that, I'm, that I've been influenced by. And I could just say, well, this is who I am. I'm stuck here like this forever. Just like we can think, oh, Paul, I'm not, I'm not radical like Paul, so, but I'm just, that's who I am, right? But are we just called to be the same the way we've always been? I don't think we are. I don't think we are. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be me anymore. <laughs> or I'd rather be me, but under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because if he's promised it, if it mattered so much that he died, was resurrected, ascended to heaven so that he could sit at the right hand and pour out these gifts on me. If it matters that much, shouldn't I value it? Shouldn't I pursue it? Or do I just value myself so much and my own control and my own way of doing things and the way I've always done things? Do I, do I value that over the things that he has for me? My confession is that oftentimes I do. And here's the other complex part. I don't always know how to stop valuing myself and my own life and my own things over the things that he's called me to. I don't, I don't have a, a three-step plan for you, okay? I don't, I don't have that. I don't have a three-step plan for our church. Um, but we are called over and over and over again in the New Testament to pursue the Lord, to seek his kingdom first. And it might be difficult and we might feel unsure of ourselves, but if we entrust ourselves to him, seek him more, I think he's always faithful to meet us in those places. So if you're maybe sitting here uncomfortable with the spiritual stuff, that's, that's okay. But do you want to seek what the Lord has for you? Do you want to maybe be surprised, not, not like anti-scripture in any way, standing firmly on the word of the Lord, but still pursuing him? I would just ask you to consider that and to be hungry for that. So to, to going back to prophecy, I've just had three quick points to, to make about prophecy. The first is this. The Spirit speaks through prophets for the sake of the whole church. And that's what we see here. I'm, I'm just going to read from you 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 7 through 11. 1 Corinthians is a great book in terms of understanding the role of prophecy, the later, later books of uh, chapters of 1 Corinthians are, are helpful. So the Spirit speaks through, the whole, through prophets for the sake of the whole church. And we read this right here. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. That is the theme and the use, the proper use of spiritual gifts, is that God sends them for the common good. God gives each people in his body different gifts and, and the types of gifts that are listed right they're listed right here wisdom through the spirit uh, knowledge by the same spirit faith by the same spirit healing by the same spirit performing miracles prophecy distinguishing between spirits different kinds of tongues interpretations of tongues one and the same spirit is active in all of these distributing to each person as he wills this is Paul's picture of what the normal church looks like. The normal church looks like God, Jesus Christ, sitting on the right hand of God, giving gifts to his people for the common good. And let's, let's think about it, how that's playing out here um, in the text in Acts, right? Consider what might have happened. 
Consider what might have happened had Paul been led by the Lord to go to Jerusalem, and he says, I know I'm going to be persecuted there, but I'm going to go anyway, but he just keeps that to himself, and he just goes, and he would go to Jerusalem, and then he would get arrested, and and all this this stuff that we'll, we'll read about later next. What would happen to the church had they not been told by the Holy Spirit that when he goes, he will be arrested? My guess, he would have gone, been arrested, and they would have said, God must have abandoned us. God's not being faithful. Like this guy, Paul, who who, has has brought the mission forward, he's gone and he's been been arrested, and now we're just just discouraged and broken. You see, the Holy Spirit was telling the church that this was going to happen to Paul when he goes there for the common good. So that people would realize, oh yeah, like, no, this is definitely going to happen. Like, he's called to go there and to suffer for the sake of Jesus, and that's okay. And church, like, you should know it's really going to happen. Don't be surprised when it is. Don't be discouraged when it is. It's going to be okay. God hasn't lost control. God isn't, 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 isn't caught off guard by opposition. The Spirit is speaking through prophets for the common good, for the sake of the whole church, so that they would not be discouraged when Paul goes. So that's the contradictory messaging, right? It's not a warning so that Paul will cease to go. It's it's, 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 it's to give the people who are, who are, followers, you know, people who've, who've been impacted by Paul's life and ministry who want to follow Jesus to not be discouraged. We need courage. We need bravery. We need confidence in Jesus Christ. Man, it is work. It is work to hold on to faith in Jesus in the midst of um, I'm not even going to say like a culture where we're persecuted because I don't think we live in that kind of culture, but in a culture where we are distracted, in a culture where we are maybe uh, maybe mocked and belittled, I think maybe that's fair. I don't think that's persecution. It's easy to get discouraged when you're following Jesus. We need to understand that the Lord is in control and the Lord uses prophets, people, to, 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 to build us up. Second point here, the Spirit speaks through prophets to build up, but not to exert control. This isn't like, isn't like the prophets are rulers. Prophets are not there to, to say, no, this is the, what God is saying, and you got to do this thing. That's not really how prophecy functions in the New Testament. First Thessalonians, uh, no, sorry, First uh, Corinthians 14, 1 through 3 says this, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. prophesy. For the person who seeks, uh, speaks in a tongue is not speaking to the people of God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. Prophecy in the church has the impact of strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. And do we need that? Do we ever need that? The journey of faith, seeking the Lord, we require strength, we require encouragement, we require require consolation. And prophets are not speaking to control the church. And by the way, some people will abuse the gift of prophecy and, and boss you around. You are accountable to the Holy Spirit. 
The church is accountable to the Holy Spirit. We are all following Jesus. Prophets are encouraging us to follow Jesus. And the minute a person comes along as a prophet and says, no, you follow me, they're a liar. Don't listen to them. I, sorry, I didn't plan on saying that. That's, that's, that seemed mean. But I think it's true. You know, there are charlatans and narcissists and fools in the world. If anyone is telling you to do anything but follow Jesus, or like Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. So go through, you follow my example, but understand what I'm doing is seeking the Lord. That is what you're called to. You don't need someone to tell you what to do. Paul tells over and over again, like, if the gifts of the Spirit are working in you, like, you have all that you need to follow Jesus. You have all that you need. You don't, you don't need, he says, I, I can't remember where he says, you don't require anyone to teach you. I think that's in Timothy somewhere, right? Because if the Holy Spirit is working in you, he's encouraging you. Like, you, the thing is that, like, you can rely on the Spirit. You can rely on the Lord. You can rely on the Word of God. You have a copy. You probably have five copies. What a remarkable time we live in. <laughs> you throwing water bottles, Drew? No, I'm, just, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, man, we are to go. We are, we're not looking for people to control us. And honestly, like we need to in the American church, and I'm just speaking to our own selves. Maybe it's true with other people. I don't live there. I live here. We need to get over our addiction to controlling people and leaders. You know what, like, I, I know it sounds, it, it feels maybe good to have somebody yell at you, but the Holy Spirit strengthens, encourages, and consoles. He doesn't yell at you, because God doesn't hate you. He loves you. God wants to restore your faith. He doesn't want to break you down. Why do we want to be broken down? Let's be built up. Finally, prophecy needs to be considered and weighed against the word and against conviction. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, uh, 16 through 21. I don't think that's correct, but 1 Thessalonians 5, right around there. Uh, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks to everything, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies. But... Test all things. Hold on to what is good. Paul is saying the way that we operate in the church when people are prophesying is we first don't despise it, which is to say, don't think of yourself as I'm fine. I don't need any encouraging, strengthening, or you know, consolation. I'll just I'll just plod along. That's like my MO. I'm just a plotter. <laughs> Don't despise prophecy. Actually, like, listen when the Lord is speaking. Listen when your brothers and sisters come up to you and say, you know what? I was praying and I was thinking of you or I, or I had this dream or I just feel like God wants me to say this to you or encourage you in this way. Don't just say, oh, that's nice. <laughs> no, just, just listen, right? Listen, okay? And then Go before the Lord, test that against the word. Say, is, this, is that consistent with what God has told me, the way he operates? So if somebody says, oh, you need to drown your puppy, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I just thought, think about like a bad thing. I'm not, I don't, I don't, 
Think about I didn't I didn't I wasn't gonna say like murder somebody, but that seems mean, like and that's like obviously against the word. I don't think God wants to drown puppies, like he's not it's not consistent with his character. So I could reject that and if somebody tells you that, like call the police or something. That seems a little a little strange. We test things against the word. We 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 say like, okay, like is this consistent with, with what God like would 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 encourage me to do? And then we hold on to what is good. Like, we, we want to listen, and we want to be encouraged, and we have to understand that the work of faith and the work of following Jesus involves, like, some nerve. It involves nerve to hold on to goodness and virtue and beauty and the things that God calls us to. It's going to take some, I don't know, it's going to take, like, what am I thinking of? Like, it's going to take nerve. We have to really lean into God's work. So consider it, weigh it, test it against the word, and then go against personal conviction. That's what Paul is doing, right? Paul is really saying, okay, I'm hearing what you guys are saying. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be tied up, arrested. It's not going to be good. That's the only thing I know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to be maybe a little bit painful. He got that. He listened. He heard. He didn't say, no, no, no. God told me to go to Jerusalem, so I know it's all going to be great. He said, no, I know God told me to go to Jerusalem, and I know it's going to be difficult because everywhere I go, I'm being told, it's going to be, it's not going to be a walk in the park. And so he's not being thrown off the scent. He's, he's not saying, okay, I'm just going to give up because it's going to be hard. He's going back, listening to what's being said, and then, and then going back before the Lord in relationship, praying to the Lord and just saying, no, I am firm in my conviction. I really believe the Spirit's leading me, and I believe that He's telling me what it's going to be like so that I will be prepared for it. And then he just like, he has that conviction. So he, he gathers these prophets, right? Right outside of, of Jerusalem, uh, right outside of Judea, outside of Israel, and he replies to them like it says in, in the end of verse uh, 21, 12 here. Paul replied, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. Paul did not despise these prophets. He didn't think, oh, you guys are false. He heard what they said. He went back before the Lord, and he was assured of his conviction that he was going to go anyway because he knew his purpose and his mission in life was to spread the gospel, and he knew Jesus was calling him to go there. And so he knows it's going to be painful, it's going to be difficult, and yet despite all that, I am still going to go. Thankful to not be caught off guard, by difficulty, but assured that that was what needed to be done. And so he just says to them, you know, brothers and sisters, thank you for your word. I, I, I take it. I, I believe it's true, but the Lord's will be done. I'm going anyway because I really feel convicted about this. See, Paul considered the words of the prophets, but he was a man radically committed to what God had called him to. And for us, like I said before, like <laughs> we look at his commitment and then we look at our own lives, right? And I look at my own life 
And I think, I don't, I don't have that kind of, I don't have that kind of nerve. I don't have that kind of zeal for the Lord that Paul had. But I, I really think, this is, this is the truth, I really think he was just a really normal guy. I think he was a really normal, normal guy. And we also have to consider in the book of Acts, Paul's story is like 16 to 20 years. 16, from the time we meet Paul to, to now, there's a good bit of time. And it's only at the end of this kind of Paul cycle that he's able to say, I'm at the point, I'm at the point where the God has proven over and, over and over again that I really count my life as nothing. That he'd been humbled so much and seen the Lord do so many things that he can just say, you know what, I, I just, I am, I'm going to stand firmly. All that is to say that Paul went through a growth process, and if he went through a growth process as a normal person, then we don't need to be discouraged by his example. Because I do think that, well, maybe you won't ever get to this kind of like Pauline level of devotion. And I don't think, by the way, you're not earning your way into heaven, so that's great. You don't need to be there. But you do want to, I know you want to be moving towards a life of fullness and, and, and purpose and hope, the kind of life that Paul had. He was so clear about his purpose. He understood his life to be about one thing to share the gospel no matter what. That was the unique calling that Jesus had for him when he called him to be a Christian. To proclaim the gospel before kings. He understood it. And by the way, Paul had all the other things going on that you have and that I have. He had things like career and prestige and family obligations and probably... Hobbies? I don't know what Paul's hobbies were. Paul was a paddleboarder. No, I'm just joking. Um, he had wealth. He had all of those things. And he ensured through seeking the Lord, not, not that he wouldn't care about those things, but those things would have proper place that is subordinate to his purpose that God had made clear to him. You get it? That's the thing. You don't become somebody like Paul, who's just so, like, man, devoted to, 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 to the Lord by just saying, oh, well, no family, no career, no job, no fun, you know. It, it's not that. It's that those things found their proper place in his life. Found their proper place in his life. He kind of describes his mentality in Philippians 1. He says this, just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. I think that's Paul's motto. Pursuing that end is what got him to the point where he could say, I don't count my life for much. I don't value it. And instead, I value the purposes and the plan of God in proclaiming the gospel. He did this thing, this one thing, as a citizen of heaven, he lived his life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he goes on. He says, then whether I come to see you or I am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit. If you do this in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, 
not being frightened in any way by your opponents. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Worship team is going to come up as, as we start to close out here. But just like to frame this up again, Paul did not overnight become the sort of person who could say, like, I don't count my life as, as much at all. He pursued this one thing. He considered himself a citizen of heaven, considered his primary allegiance, his primary uh, place where his life would matter the most as, it, as, as heaven. Like what God is doing, those are the things that I want to make first and foremost in your life. And if you're going to be a citizen of heaven, then you live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ, which does not mean, does not mean that you need to earn your way into heaven or impress God with all your stuff. It means that you have heard the gospel of Christ, which is the grace and love and undeserved favor of God being poured out into the world. We do not live as people worthy of the gospel by trying to impress God and do backflips. We live as people worthy of the gospel as opening ourselves up to the work and grace of God every day. Saying, no, I don't need to just like find within myself some great qualities or character, but actually, no, I need to turn my mind, turn my heart, turn my worship, open my life up to Jesus Christ and understand that he is catching me up into his plan and he is pouring out his spirit upon me and on my friends, my brothers and sisters at church, my brothers and sisters at other churches. He is doing something to bring the kingdom of heaven into the world. And that may involve, and I think it was unique to the Philippians, right, because he's writing to a persecuted church here, that may involve suffering. I don't think Paul is saying suffering is the best way. But what he's saying is that if I am so consumed, if I understand my citizenship is in heaven, if I understand that my primary allegiance is to God and what he's doing, and if I understand my life to be living worthy of the gospel is, is to just be receiving from God, then suffering isn't that big of a deal. In light of the faithfulness, in light of the grace, in light of the good news of the gospel, I can continue to believe and yet still suffer. Truth be told, walking with Jesus is actually joy, not suffering. That's the way the New Testament frames it. It's so much joy that even when things are difficult, we can still rejoice. Or we can be sad and we can be broken and we can be discouraged and yet find encouragement, strength, and consolation by the Spirit. So if you are sad, discouraged, if you're feeling like, man, unworthy, of the gospel of Christ. The solution isn't walk away. The solution isn't flip a switch that you don't know where it is and just become a different sort of person. The solution is 
I understand where I'm at. I understand what I've been called to. I'm a citizen of heaven now. I understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is just good news. It's unmitigated good news. That grace and kindness and love and the power of heaven is coming down into my life. And so I can just turn again to that. And if I am so discouraged and if I need strength, then I can just ask my brothers and sisters, would you pray for me? Would you encourage me? That's why we're together. That's why we do this. A lot of places to be on a Sunday morning, right? No offense, vacation people. It's okay. Everybody goes on vacation for a little bit. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of places you could be on a Sunday morning. Why do you come together? So that we could be strengthened, encouraged, consoled, built up. We need one another. We need one another. So if you're in that spot where you're just discouraged, would you seek out prayer this morning? Um, you'd be able to pray over here. Philip's going to pray over here. Um, you guys can go over there during this song and, 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 and pray and get prayer. Um, I want to pray for you and, like, you know, just come spend time with each other. Be honest with each other. I love these testimonies. Like, sometimes life is terrible. You know that sometimes life is full of suffering, but God wants to encourage us. He wants to build us up. And so let's continue to seek him out. Let's ask him to surprise us. Let's just stand up. We're going to jump right into worship and, um, yeah, go over there and see Philip if, if, if you'd like some prayer this morning.